0: This is the Publicity for Pet Businesses podcast with Rachel Spencer. Listen in each week for tips on ways to win media
1: coverage and create content to make sure your pet business stands out from the
0: competition. Hi and on the podcast today I'm really excited to be speaking to Alexandra Baker and Nigel Baker from the Pet Industry Federation and we're going to be talking about their Pet Index event which is happening in October. As you can imagine it's a virtual event thanks to lockdown and we're also going to be talking about how Covid has impacted on the pet industry and they're going to be sharing some advice for pet professionals which I think you're going to find really helpful. Um, Alexandra and Nigel I've met them a number of times and they've done what they've worked so hard over the past few months supporting people from product businesses to service providers so I'm really thrilled to have them on the show. So Alexandra and Nigel welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Can you tell me give me a little bit of an introduction to who you are um, and what you do, and I'm going to start with you, Alexandra. Can you tell me about you first?
1: Okay, well, it's lovely to uh, lovely to be here this afternoon with you, Rachel. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. I'm the chief operating officer. Um, of the Pet Industry Federation. I've held this role for about uh, 18 months, though I've actually been in the company for a lot longer than that. I started off as a communications manager um, back in about 2007, I think, when I just had my children. So I've kind of grown with, as the company's grown and changed. I joined when it was the Pet Care Trust, and I've seen it evolve um, and move into, um, I think, a much um, bigger and much more dynamic organisation where we've grown membership, We've redefined what we're here to do for our members um, and, uh, and, and we've got a lot more on our journey still to come. So it's um, it's a fantastic organisation and um, I think, yeah, it's, a, it's great to be here this afternoon to talk a little bit about what we're doing and about Virtual Pet Index.
0: Fabulous. Thank you. And then over to you, Nigel.
2: Yeah, thank you, Rachel. I'm Chief Executive of the Pet Industry Federation. I think I've been here about seven, eight years now. Um, my background comes out of industry, uh, and if you recognise the name Baker, you probably realise that it comes through Baker's Complete. Originally, Edward Baker was the family company, which we sold out in the 90s. Uh, and then I've done various things like uh, run Supreme Pet Foods, which was Russian rabbit and Gertie Guinea Pig, and put all that together. Uh, my background's actually an engineer by training. i been in the BBC, uh, and I came into here in about 2000, late 2012, 13. Uh, and since then, have looked to see how we can build uh, the Pet Industry Federation to being a, a sort of UK beating trade association uh, and being there for our members so that we really can help them build their businesses over, uh, over the period and particularly during this COVID period.
0: Absolutely. So, um, I think you've kind of touched on it there. But um, what has twenty twenty been like for you so far? Then, because it has obviously been a very challenging year, hasn't it? We're speaking in we're speaking end of September, uh, just coming up to six months of since COVID first forced us into lockdown. So, what's your year like been so far?
2: Um, I think it's been a bit rather like for everybody a bit of a roller coaster. Um, we we were pre COVID. Actually, we were the business was building very well. Our membership was growing rapidly and we had our, our sort of table laid out and I think we we're pretty clear what we were trying to do. Um, and we also had a, a, an event which we were going to run, which was the first time we'd put this on for some time being pet index and that was going to be at Milton Keynes and was going to combine education and uh, a virtual, and a, not a virtual show, a show really, a trade show, uh, but predominantly it was there to try and educate and help people with their businesses. Um, Obviously, COVID came along and uh, that caused um, that to basically be put away, so we couldn't run it. Uh, And since then, obviously, and I'll talk a little bit more about virtual pay index in a minute, but since then, we've been here really for our members and the industry trying to interpret government guidance, which um, government tends to put out guidance, which is very broad, uh, but how it then works for particular businesses and particular companies in our industry we've um, spent the last uh, five months trying to interpret what that actually means and how it should work. We work with the canine and feline sector group and DEFRA uh, and therefore this has been a sort of cease seesaw of trying to get information, relevant information out to our members and the industry to try and keep it alive and keep it moving forwards and sometimes that's been very complicated over this period.
0: Oh my gosh I can well imagine because as you've just said that the advice that you get from the government it's not a one size fits all is it and there's just so many different interpretations so can you tell me about like some of the challenges that you faced and maybe give some examples of 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 how that advice has been interpreted or been left open to interpretation and what that's meant for people
1: yes absolutely I mean we've um we've as I said every time I mean it sort of started literally as soon as lockdown began you know even from right down to what was an essential journey you know was going to a groomer considered an essential journey what was um, you know what is or was there a welfare um issue at stake there that meant that perhaps groomers needed to stay open or could mobile groomers operate and, and 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 static um you know businesses remain closed it was i think um i mean the government was very good at putting out the kind of top headline um you know headline grabbing uh, statements and then it was left to even even the guidance when it was eventually put out wasn 't hugely clear because it wouldn 't always um it wouldn't always necessarily um it, it wouldn't bring in pet groomers or kennels or catteries or boarders or, uh, or or even retailers really it was it was a case of how do you you, know, you have to almost take the spirit of the guidance and then interpret that in the best way and i think I mean, and every business is different um so you know a, a home groomer or a home boarder would be very different to a kennel or a cattery um so i think one of the biggest challenges has certainly been to to take that that, that government advice um and then we we actually worked really well with the canine a feline sector group who have um uh, who, who who've actually we all collaborated together so not just us but along with other veterinary bodies and welfare associations to actually put together a rather regular piece of business guidance um which i think has been very well received by the industry as a whole i mean certainly on our facebook page whenever we put an update to it it got a huge amount of hits and a huge amount of coverage um because i think there was such an appetite for businesses out there to get as much information as they could obviously it's their livelihoods at stake yeah. and so they needed to know that what they were doing was right and what they were doing was meeting uh, the legal requirements but also what they were doing wasn't going to be um you know t- causing harm you know to, to their own businesses as well so it's been a re- it's been a bit of a it's been a bit of a tightrope and i mean things have settled down a little bit now i think as people you know, as lockdown started to ease and 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 but even i mean you know even today with, with the announcement um about the track and trace scheme and the new app that's just been launched you know, there's a sort of a question mark now over whether our members need to be using the, the QR code. And again, th- there's nothing clear from the government about whether we should. but you know we, you know we will have to somehow interpret that guidance and put something out that enables our members and the industry at large to uh, use it in, in, in the correct business context, but for them personally. So it's just about understanding the spirit of the guidance, I think and, and, and then you know adopting it in the
2: right way. And I think the the other problem we we faced right at the beginning of this, I don't know if you remember when and Alex alluded to it, uh, was was going to a pet shop and a central journey or not. and Should yeah. they stay open? Uh, we we strongly argue the case they should stay open. And when you look more closely at this, obviously pet shops sell small animals, and you don't really think very much about that. But on the other hand, when you look at the, between the gestation period. Um, and right the way through to point of sale, we estimated that there were potentially 60,000 animals at risk, Wow! Uh, which is a phenomenal amount. And it, if you look at it on a weekly sale, it's not a lot, but most of these animals will have a gestation period or the, the parents will have gestation periods. Uh, babies have gestation periods right up to point of sale. Um, and therefore we had to solve that somehow or other and make yeah. sure that the, uh, they could still be sold at retail. Um, And we managed to do that and I think managed to get over the problem because it would have been an absolute calamity if if basically they all had to be euthanized. So uh, fortunately, I think that the pet shops rose to um, the the point of being able to still sell them. uh, And that continued throughout COVID. And fortunately, that didn't end up as a calamity.
0: Wow, okay. So I was actually going to ask you about um, you know, any campaigning or lobbying for change that you were involved in. So that would I guess would, would be an example of that. Are there any other things well, that you that, really had to pull? That was
2: certainly one. Yeah. yeah, that was certainly one. And then of course it came out that um mobile groomers could stay open, um, but fixed groomers couldn't. And so we, we argued the point that fixed grooming could could continue providing it was done properly because the art the, the point which came out from government was was, an, was it an essential journey to go to a groomer? So you, you could obviously see that a mobile groomer's all right because they went to somebody's home to do it. But was it an essential journey to go to the groomer? And in fact, was it an essential journey to pick your dog up from the groomer if going to the groomer was the essential journey? It's a bit of a moot point. Yeah. But on the other hand, it, it got stuck going round and round in circles. And we managed to untangle that one um, such that the groomers could open and that was fine. Uh, kennel's and catries have been uh, a difficulty because obviously people haven't gone on holiday. So we, we sort of argued the point that you know if you were shielding or had problems or you needed to put your dog and you were you were ill into somewhere, then Kennel's and catries could stay open. Uh, it wasn't perfect, and by no means did they see the amount of inbound um, trade that they would normally see with people going on holiday. But it, I think it kept some of them open and going. Uh, dog walking has been extraordinarily complicated because should should you be able to walk dogs or not walk dogs and should professional dog walkers walk dogs? Uh, yeah. And that was another one which we, we argued strongly about um, trying to get them out and about, albeit that initially it was limited that you could only walk one dog at a time, but slowly that got opened up as well. So all the way through this, um, there, there's just been a non-stop trying to find ways that our industry could still work, but accepting that we were all facing this whole horrible um, pandemic, which effectively locked down businesses. So uh, I think we've been right in the middle of it. And uh, our thanks go to CFSG who worked with us and to DEFRA, because I'm interpreting all this as being quite complicated, as you can imagine.
0: Yeah it sounds extraordinarily complicated just from the examples that you've given there and and knowing from the people who I have you know people I know online and who I see on social media just how confusing it was but also it's fun, it, it, not funny it's 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 baffling I guess because we recognize the amazing part uh, our animals play in giving us emotional support and having with well with well-being um, and the you know we've, we've talked before about how pets are humanized and that's part of part of the, the great thing about the industry, you know, pets are family, aren't they? It's a really important, they're really, it's so, that's so important. But from, you know, from those examples that you gave us, it's so strange to think that their care, the you know, the regard for their care, just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't there, was it? When all of these announcements went out there and the battles that you've had to, to make that happen. Well, I think
2: that the person who normally took their dog to the groomer every six or eight weeks, um, suddenly wasn't able to do so. Uh, now, the, the advice obviously we gave out that you and we gave to put out some videos on how to home groom, but in effect, that's not very effective for somebody who had a long haired dog yeah. um, or, or even a cat and um, was trying to do it at home. And of course, you know that if the, the fur gets knotted and tangled, um, that's just uh, you know, it hurts the animal basically, it pulls on the skin. And therefore, it was really important that we managed to get the groomers out and from a welfare point of view more than anything.
0: Yeah. And the same with the walkers as well. If you, you know, if you're walking uh, someone's dog who's elderly, who isn't able to give them the exercise they need or the shielding and they're not allowed Absolutely. out, then, that, you know, that their dogs need walking, don't they? So it's just such Absolutely. a wide of different challenges. And Alexandra, I bet your communications background um, you were thankful for, weren't you, when, when all of this kicked off? Oh
1: yeah Jenna definitely I mean we 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 are actually quite fortunate I mean most of our members are very active on social media yeah. um or certainly particular groups are and uh, and and it does um, it, it did lend itself to getting some good um, information out quickly um, and obviously being a membership organisation we have that direct link with our members um, anyway but we needed it to go far wider than that and uh, because this isn't obviously this wasn't a pandemic that was just affecting um, affecting our members. I think that one of the biggest challenges has, has been obviously you know was interpreting the guidance but also um, there were three particular points that we um, actually directly lobbied um, the government on uh, to try and gain some clarity um, on, on things like some of the business rates, um, the expanded retail discount scheme, and um, cutting VAT for um, leisure and tourism. Again, the government sort of made these sweeping announcements that there would be some, you know, great opportunities, great money saving opportunities for certain types of businesses, and um, you know we were really keen to try and get. Uh, the government to provide clarity on whether say for example kennels, kennels and cashieries would be included within the definition of a leisure and a tourism business um, and, yeah. um, and part, part of the problem was the government sort of handed it out to the local authorities to use their discretion as to how they actually wanted the um how, how they wanted to kind of you know, divvy out the pots of money that they were being given so we found huge inconsistencies with some of our members saying well they managed to get the twenty five pound grants and some members who weren't able to get in. It would seem to be a postcode lottery in effect. Um, and I think that that was, you know, unfortunately, what, what you get from the government, when, when we eventually got uh, actually a response from them, which was generally about three months after we wrote, um, usually it was, um, you know, along the lines of, uh, you know, that it was sort of, you know, devolved to the local authorities to do with as they would. And uh, when I actually pressed our local MP on it, he felt that in, in a number of cases, probably kennels and catteries wouldn't be included within business and tourism. So it has been a bit of an ongoing battle. And, and um, you know, I think it's something you know we want to uh you know use to try and raise our profile as as, as you know on some of the, the projects that we've got in in the pipeline for for the future once all this, this you know coronavirus dies down i think you know raising our profile with government and representation is going to be uh, really key so that um you know we can support our members in the best way that we can
0: absolutely um and i think the other you've both touched on a little bit in your answers before but another the obviously we've got the kind of business side and you know what can we do what can't we do and you know what does this mean for our business but I know from speaking to you before we press record that you've also been dealing with the emotional impact and um, with your members because it is it's, it is emotional isn't it you know it's not like your business is your life I'm self-employed myself and when you're yeah. kind of thrown into this this situation it's really hard isn't it so what's it been like kind of supporting people emotionally what kind of things have you you know what what's it been like for well, you
2: well what we did during during the actual lockdown Rachel mm-hmm. was that um, if you started at sort of our level at office level we had a daily meeting with everybody every day so they didn't feel isolated and everybody kept us up to date with what they were doing and what they were working on so every single day we'd have a, a video meeting with all of them um, and then we cascaded that down to membership on the basis we made a point of ringing every single member um, so that mm-hmm. they had someone to talk to. And we also got feedback from them as to what their problem was. So all of our members got a, got a phone call from the team to mm-hmm. actually just try and ascertain how we could help. And I think a lot of them are really grateful that they heard from us uh, and that, A, we were concerned, and B, if they had a problem, they could help. And we have an extraordinarily good legal um, uh, benefit legal expense benefit for um, that people can ring if they're a member of ours. So if they had any problems about anything that was going on with their business, we could also fall back on that. So when you put all of that together, I think the package worked very well over, over COVID. Um, as Alex alluded to, it would be nice if government would, would have allowed us to do a little bit more and move the barriers out to get some people more money, which are in desperate need of. And indeed, even now, uh, if you look at kennels and cateries now, um, they've got major problems on the basis of the tourist season didn't happen, or yeah. sort of started happening, and has it, fallen down again. Mm. So they're still trying to keep staff and everything on with a with an income streams which are just far less than they've ever been used to, and mm. they've got high expenses to run these establishments. Yeah. It's
0: mm-hmm. just such a such a tough time, isn't it? Um, and I know mm. more more. Um, more guidelines have been announced today which again just seem very vague so I don't even think we should even talk about those (laughs) because we'll just end up confusing ourselves but the other thing I know we talked before I pressed record about the people who um you've got you know you have a few members who have been who've fallen through the cracks where they haven't had any support at all and I know it must be difficult um you know help trying to support them because it's just so hard isn't it and you know there are a lot of people out there going through a very tough time aren't there
2: I think so, and I can't see that necessarily stopping. I think from, I mean, we represent a, a very wide spectrum of different types of members, um, from manufacturers um, who, if if they're food manufacturers, have probably been okay because the route to market or the number of animals uh, has actually probably gone up if you look at puppies being sold out there at the moment, uh, to retailers who have obviously had a very difficult time. We kept them open, kept them going. The, the consumer went to the retailer initially because they wanted to shop local rather than going to large stores and probably now drifting back to the large superstores to some degree. And then, of course, during all of this, all the online side started um, picking up enormously. So there's, a, there's an enormous shift to online um, buying um, and purchasing pet products now. Uh, and then you move through to the issues that we've talked about with kennels and catteries, which um, I think are problematic. Groomers are probably now still okay because they, are, I mean, having got out of the lockdown situation, they're still able to see animals, etc. Um, dog walkers, probably professional dog walkers, um, from what we can understand, although they are um, have got business, but because a lot of people are working from home, they're now not using professional dog walkers or daycare. Yeah. So both of those are seeing their businesses hit um, yeah. and finding it difficult to, to move things forward. Yeah. So it's it's quite a mixed bag with the services that exist. Um, and have grown up over a period of time to the industry and now suddenly finding it quite difficult.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's not just about the lockdown and how it's affected over the last six months, but it's actually the ram- the ongoing ramifications mm-hmm. and how that affects people's working life, whether they're going to be working from home more often and and how that's, you know, so that the dynamics will continue to change, even if even once we, we, we move through coronavirus and, and the threat of the virus becomes a lot, a lot less then, then there's still going to be the, the after effects of a potentially a, a whole shift in the way that we we you know we we live our lives that the, you know and I think that's something we can't quite predict um, in terms of the impact that's going to have our, on our members you know in in the future so it's it's still all to play for isn't it I think it's um, we still
0: don't quite know how it's all going to look no absolutely and um, and I think one like one of the things that that people were quite vocal about was you know the rise of volunteer dog walkers during the pandemic and the need for regulation so people can protect the livelihoods what what are your kind of thoughts on that with the dog walkers because I know it's been really challenging for them and with the working from home thing happening um where people are just going oh, I don't need my dog walker anymore which I, I just find really sad to be honest um you know people have talked about regulation when it comes to dog walking what are your what would be your kind of your feelings on that um I
2: think that, um the regulation on dog walking are you Are you referring to licensing moving forward yeah. or just generally Um, I think, I mean, there's two groups of um, pet services that are are debated whether they should get licensed or not. And one of them is obviously pet groomers and the other one is dog walkers. I mean, that's predominantly because I think um, now the daycare is licensed uh, and home boarding is licensed. Um, These are the two probably services that are used by a lot of people. The the problem with dog walkers about licensing is normally a license involves an inspection. And I'm not totally sure how you inspect a dog walker. Yeah, It's a very difficult thing to do. You can inspect transport of the dogs, you can do things like that, and you can inspect probably that they've got the right processes and procedures in place. But to actually physically inspect a dog walker is very, very difficult. So um, we would probably advocate in that case that a register of professional dog walkers would be a better route forward. Mm-hmm. But we're not sure that. when we, in fact, we know that DEFRA probably hasn't got a high appetite for registration, yeah. um, and we prefer to have licensing. So I think they find it difficult on registration to run such schemes. So I think that that's a complication. And then when you look at um, groomers. Uh, I think that there, there's probably a case to to have licensed groomers, um, and because most people who take their dog to the groomer would presume that they are, um, you know, that they've been um, educated in some sort of form and having a qualification. Um, but there is a lot of them who haven't, and have been obviously grooming for many years, and actually are excellent groomers, but don't actually have a qualification. Um, and therefore, there, there's a whole issue around. Education qualifications and licensing, because in all the other practices, you are you do actually have to have some form of qualification. So that's a that's a hill to climb. Yeah. Uh, the thing about licensing is that we're about to go next year into the next round of, of licensing, because the current um, animal activity licensing, which came in in 2018, um, has sunset clauses, which mean that it it finalises in 2023 and therefore cannot be renewed or changed. Uh, And I think we sort of intimated, um, DEFRA have intimated to us that they'd quite like to start working on that next year um, so that we would need to put forward cases for either registration or licensing of those two groups and make any changes to the current licensing that exists out there. So next year looks like it's going to be a busy year already.
1: I think it's also worth mentioning, of course, that any additional um, licensing uh, has to be balanced with the need for enforcement. And I, again, just to you know reiterate Nigel's point about DEFRA may not have the appetite. I mean, local authorities are the ones that normally have to enforce these sorts of regulations, uh, as they have to currently do for the animal activities licensing. And if you if you add more types of business, businesses and premises to that, then the local authorities have actually got to go out and 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 make sure that that, that the act uh, that you know is is being carried out. So um, I think that. It, it's it, I think regulation on one level is something that I think a lot of people particularly those who are currently operating as professional walkers or professional groomers would welcome but on the flip side it isn't just a you don't just flick a switch and it happens there's a there's actually a it's quite a complicated process. Um, and, and, and I know that uh, there, we certainly wasn't plain sailing with the animal activities licensing when we um, bought, you know, brought much clearer guidance in for daycare and home boarding. Um, we're still going through some changes on that at the moment to try and fit all the different kinds of business models. So um, I think it, there's you know there are certainly um, you know avenues that, that we can go down, as I just said, some form of perhaps self-registration. But I think to professional dog walkers, you know, who are potentially having those sorts of difficulties where well, you're absolutely right that, you know, there are sort of very informal people who kind of set up and thought, oh, it's great just to put a lead on a dog and take it for a walk and then a few, you know, f- a few... Pence doing it um I think you know I think a lot of people would want the reassurance from their professional dog walker that they're insured and that they've got qualifications to to know what to do in in an emergency if the dog suddenly mm-hmm. slips the lead or if it suddenly gets spooked by something or if it catches its paw when it's out walking on a piece of glass I mean I know as a dog owner myself and I, I would be, be so reluctant to just hand my dog over to anyone and I, I would I would want to to have that reassurance that they've got you know, the, uh, some qualifications in place, and there are qualifications out there. There's a level two sitting guilds dog walking qualification that we uh, that we administer, um, and and have the proper insurance in place. So I think professional dog walkers almost need to create that, um, you know, that that need to stand apart in that way, uh, and and provide that reassurance to their clients that yeah. their dogs are in safe hands with them, whereas they may not be if they're with someone who's literally just set themselves up and think that they can just earn a quick buck.
0: Absolutely, and that's what um, I think. It's really important to communicate all of those things. The you know the, what what without wanting to scaremonger, what might happen if you, yeah. you know, just let anyone take your dog out, and why you, you yeah. know, why you choose a professional, qualified, you know, you know, a experienced dog walker um, rather yes. than just leave your dog with anyone because well because pets are family, aren't they? As we were just saying before, absolutely. Um, yes. I was just going to talk about pet ind- pet, pet index um, actually because one of the dog walkers who I used in when I did the pet in, the virtual pet index earlier on in the year um, one of the dog walkers who I talked about in the presentation she is so brilliant at that at communicating what you know why choose her and what happens on her walks um, so um, I'd like clients know exactly how safe the the dogs are right from you know where they sit in the van to what cleaning products she uses I think some people did really really well on the communication side of things and particularly in lockdown so tell me about we we talked about it a little bit at the beginning um at the beginning of the year when I met you in February we were um all very excited about the (laughs) face-to-face real life um pet (laughs) index I know it seems like it was like 1974 or something I know Uh, and then obviously that didn't happen, but virtual pet Ind- index was fantastic. So can you tell us a little bit about the first virtual pet index and then we're going to talk about the next one. So tell us about yeah, the first sure. one and what that was like.
2: Well, it was a bit of a leap of faith on should we or shouldn't we do a virtual show? And to my knowledge, nobody in the, the sort of Western world had done a virtual pet trade show uh, until we went into it. We knew that the one happened in Australia um but even in the states and everybody we were not aware of anybody trying to do what we did uh, in June June yeah. I think of the date <laughs> is that I'm okay. uh, in June so um uh, we took a leap of faith and went into it and our view always on this was quite straightforward that um we 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 want people to network and communicate with each other and um, the pet trade's a vibrant place um and certainly exists on people talking discussing finding out about new products and learning. And we thought that if we can bring all of those things together in one event, um, then that would be absolutely brilliant. So um, to put a, a trade show together and have trade stands was a challenge. Um, and I'll explain why a little bit more in a second, but that was that was a bit of a challenge on the first one, but we managed to get over 60 trade stands. Um, but what was, what was really good was the number of seminars we put on. Um, and we had over 24 seminars running um, over the two day period in fact they were they were able to be viewed after that mm-hmm. as well as two live debates uh, and some of the seminars were delivered live and some of them were pre-recorded but there was something that just staggered me about the amount of information that we were really fortunate to get through on that and thank you Rachel because I know you mm-hmm. did one too which was really well received yeah. but it, it was absolutely fabulous the amount of information which we got and for anybody watching them you didn't have to watch them all but you would find something that was really good for your business in there. Even if it was one tip, one thing, uh, et cetera. And we, as you probably realize, we had American speakers on as well. Uh, and we've always found uh, as an industry that what happens, unfortunately, what happens in the States always ends up in the UK. So when there's a new food product or anything else happening over there, it will eventually end up over here. So to get one of the biggest retailers in, in the States on board, um, as well as what the retail doctor who's actually coming back again in October to talk. He has so much to say and there was just such a lot of good information going through there. So at the end of that, we, um, and the statistics we published, um, because we were able to track who goes to the show because everybody has to register, but we had about 1,700 people registered to come to the show and all the trade stands, I think most of them will say that they saw more business than they would do at a traditional show, which which was absolutely extraordinary, but the one thing that we did find and I think the trade stands find that it isn't a traditional trade show because whereas an additional trade show um, you go on the stand and you talk to people um, at this type of show people can visit your trade stand and you don't have to talk to anyone Mm. so I can go onto a trade stand I can pick up the literature I can place an order I can watch the videos and the people who are manning the stand who are available obviously online don't even know I've been there to the end, because okay. so at the end we report who's been on and off the stand. So the chat function, you can talk to people on the stand, but it isn't like I go up to the stand and have a normal conversation with people. Uh, it's much more virtual. And I think if you get into the idea that it's virtual, you can go on stand, you can do everything you want to do. Um, and you don't actually have to talk to anybody. So there's no embarrassment about, you know, going, oh, can you tell me this or not? But if you want to know that, you can chat online, you can do it on a Zoom call yeah, I and mean, you can do it in a group. So there's different ways of chatting, but it, it is a very different experience to a traditional show.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating that um that people did so well as well. And also the uh it must have been quite interesting for the for the for the stall holders to go and you know see what's happened at the end of the day because you don't know, do you? So um...
2: No, well you don't. And obviously first day everyone going works well, very far, not, not many people in our stand. And at the end of it, we were able to report that they were seeing between to about two hundred and fifty and four hundred and fifty people actually going on their stand, picking up information, placing orders, picking up leaflets, and doing all these types of things. Um, and obviously, yeah. that it, it being a virtual show, we could actually say who was on each stand, uh, and that was invaluable. So the the information they picked up was just unbelievably good. Um, but I think the, the the major issue is trying to get people to understand that it's not a not a traditional show. It's very very different, but it is there to explore the people go explore new products find out what's going on and I think we one other thing which amazed us is when we set out to do it we thought okay what we'll do is we'll replace pet index uh, with a virtual show but in reality of course the internet is worldwide so it didn't replace pet index what it did was create an audience which came from not only the UK but from Canada America South America right across Europe down to South Africa China, Asia, um, right across the globe. So we had just an India was absolutely phenomenal amount of people who joined in. Uh, Uh And that was great. So it's got a a global reach.
0: Hmm. Wow, that's fantastic. Can I ask you as well, what was it like with all the kind of tech side of it and set up? I imagine that was quite challenging. Well, we worked
1: with a, uh, a company, a software company that um, obviously increased, uh, found a huge increase in their demand this year. Yeah. Um, it was an American company and they sort of provided all of the software. So, um, you know, we've got a really good event coordinator here who is that, of that age where he kind of really got his head around, you know, all of the tech requirements yeah. of everything. So he he was really you know able to uh, understand exactly how the platform worked and therefore that, that meant he was perfectly placed to help our exhibitors to set up their stand and and you know setting up the stand was is really straightforward compared to the you know traditional face-to-face show which you know involves stand builders and you know roller banners at the very least um and obviously you know what doing this on, on a virtual platform you know once you've got your your, your stand design sorted out and it, it, it can be uploaded in minutes uh, and, and, and you're good to go um you know what I would say though and I think this is something that we really learned from the first show and we've been pushing very hard with the second show is that actually our exhibitors need to really give a lot of thought Although the mechanics are fairly straightforward they do need to give a lot of thought. To their stand design because the stand if you don't have a salesperson who's actively speaking to people and it's sort of grabbing them off the walkway as they're walking past your stand has to do all the talking it, yeah. it effectively becomes a silent salesman um so in order to get the business in order to to, to get the interest from people to catch people's eye your messaging your design your um the way that you set your stand out has has really got to be well fulfilled you, you can 't just pop up a couple of logos and just expect it to work. Yeah. Um, it does need a little bit of forethought, but then if you do that planning and then when this, when the show you know takes you know launches and it 's live you 've got a really good stand that 's going to you know, naturally attract a lot of people people who you wouldn 't perhaps necessarily think that, that you would attract. Um, and then you've got the opportunity to follow all of that up after the show. So I think that was a, a, something that we really learned um, from the first show and it said something where we're pushing very hard for it so our exhibitors are very clear on it the second time round, so they you know, can gain maximum advantage from, from, from being an exhibitor. At yeah, we, put, show. we put
2: some videos together for um, stand exhibitors to show them how to do it and things that I think that we learned from the first show so they're available for people to watch. Okay. Um, and I think, as Alex has said, in this, your stand just needs to be very clear uh, and know what you're trying to attract because that with that sort of audience you you obviously need to also to make sure that you're telling them who you want to speak to. So in other words, are you looking for distribution in the uk? are you looking for overseas distributors? Are you doing your own label? Because the audience um, that are coming to it, as I said, can visit your stand and see everything doesn't okay. mean you necessarily talk to them um and the the other thing of course to say about a virtual show there's no travel yeah Yeah. no accommodation Mm -hmm. there's no stand set up or rigging of stands um and it can all happen on your mobile phone with you sitting in an armchair there's nothing to download all you have to do is have the link having signed on to it and you can cruise around it for the two days that it's on come and go from it um and go and see what's happening then it's on after that as well so um, you know, although you can't do the chat, etc., it does keep going for another two weeks. Uh, and the other thing we set out to do—I mean, I think to do a to do a normal trade show would probably be two or three thousand pounds, probably with all the without the accommodation, just yeah. the the setup cost. We, we put this on for under seven hundred pounds per trade stand, uh, mainly because we're not for profit, so we're not looking to make money out of it, but we're more making to keep the industry together mm-hmm. um, and actually just make sure things keep happening, because otherwise without new products and new things happening, um, you know, everything just sort of goes downhill a little bit. So I think you need that sort of impetus to, to move thing up, things upwards.
0: Absolutely. So um, it's really interesting about the difference between a trade show um, and the fact that you've had people from all over the world being, uh, you know, coming along as well. It, it's fascinating, isn't it? Sorry, I know I sound like someone's no, I'm thinking that people, you know, can come from other countries to an online <laughs> event, but it's, it is fantastic to think that, you know, that you just that may not have happened if we were in real no, life in Milton Keynes,
1: would it? So absolutely, <laughs> it does it opens up a whole new audience that we hadn't quite sort of um, anticipated, I think. And I that was, you know, when people sort of, you know, talked to, you know, obviously we talk about the negative side of coronavirus, but yeah. it forced us to do something that we wouldn't have originally considered. Um, and I think that's been, you know, one of the upsides of the last six months has actually been that you know it does force you to look at things in a different way and to try and be a bit more creative. And then you know, we discovered that by putting a virtual show together, which we were able to put together really quickly, actually. Um, you know, we, we then actually opened it up to a whole different audience. Um, and in fact, in, in some respects, the global audience—you know—who wouldn't normally have, yes, thought of coming to a UK trade show—and and all of a sudden, because there's no travel, because there's no hotels, because it's, you know, it's all online, it suddenly meant that they were far more um, receptive to it. And I think that was uh, a, a really great opportunity. We were lucky to be able to seize on actually, and, and I think that we really paid dividends.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it's a great way to get new eyes on your business who might never come into your shop or come to see you at a, at a real life event. Um, so yeah, the opportunity is fantastic. And um, one of the questions actually that came in from my Facebook group was about. Um, do you, it was from Ross from by Benji, who I know you both know. Um, she's
2: yeah.
0: she was at the event, um, but she asked about um, if you have any thoughts about how suppliers can sensitively keep and build customers in these times. And actually, I think that links quite nicely to, you know, you don't know where your where your next you know customer will come from if you're at a virtual event do you yes
2: well at the, right. at the end of the show um obviously run your stands work properly you you would get all these people who came onto your stand we, we were able to obviously have the data on who came onto the stand and let the stand holders know so that they can talk to them afterwards uh and engage with them afterwards so even if they didn't know they were on their stand um they can email them and get in touch with them afterwards to contact them yeah. Uh, and that to actually take the conversations further, so that was a great way of providing data as well to the standholders yeah. um, so that um they could it didn't just stop at the end of the show with who picked up a leaflet, you actually knew who picked up a leaflet, and you could actually go, "Well are you interested? Can I talk to you about my products et cetera and there were some great i have to say there were some great deals done, and we know that um you know some some people signed up new distributors, some people signed up new partnerships. Um, and other people just took lots of orders so th- there's business being done all the way through this and partnerships being built um, and that's what we set out to do and I, I was really pleased that that actually happened at the last day
0: yeah, that's that's really really encouraging um and the other thing i wanted to ask you about is we've got the you've got another virtual pet index happening in october so no, we're
2: these, very, very excited yeah so this podcast <laughs> is going
0: to be going out um and we're recording in september it'll we'll be going out on, I think it's the first of October, or the first Thursday in October, anyway. Um, so tell us about how, given the timeline, tell us about when it's happening and how people can get involved, whether they are a pet owner or a pet brand. Um, what you know, what do they need to know?
2: Uh, it's happening on the 11th and 12th of October, the official live days. It's, mm-hmm. it's a trade show, so it's really open to sort of pet professionals to go to. We, we are we are looking at maybe doing a, a public facing one. As well, depending what happens with COVID and how long this keeps going on for. But um, that's sort of still under wraps at the moment mm-hmm. as to whether we do or don't. But it's a consideration at the moment. But the, the next one that's coming out, we've got over, we've got more trade stands this year. Um, and again, from across not only just out of the UK, but across the globe. So we've got them from America, Canada, um, and uh, from I think New Zealand and we else taking okay. from Germany. Um, so big cross-section of different manufacturers and products you probably haven't seen before. So uh, really pleased that that's happening. And then the seminars, we've got phenomenal, I was just mind blown by the seminars. And if I can just spend a moment, break and just give you a sort of taste of what's going on this year, uh, we've got one on promoting your business with mind-blowing photographs on your phone. So if you actually want to bother, I think that, that's a great type of subject, actually. with yeah. uh, cats and catteries, uh, something about um, fleas and itching and scratch that itch. Uh, we've got one on supporting clients through pet bereavement. Pet bereavement such a such a problem to people because they don't actually know how to deal with it yeah. with, with the owners. So we're going to do a piece on that. Uh, And of course, you're doing finding stories within your pet business, which I think is brilliant. Uh, We've got uh, somebody talking about human animal bond uh, in a COVID world, uh, minimizing the risk on the environment, dogs, and wildlife. And the whole wildlife issue with dogs in the countryside is an interesting topic. We've got some grooming demonstrations. Um, Sharon Edwards from Corporation in London is going to do something on the transport of animals. Are you legal? So, anyone who's moving dogs around, um, or transporting them on dog walking or anything else like that. Uh, you know, there are some laws around that. It's important that people understand what that's all about. Uh, we've got um, Paul Allen, who runs uh, Wolfgang Bakery in America. He's got about 150 stores. Uh, a really interesting business model. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. And he's going to talk about diversifying your business. Uh, then we've got things on education. Uh, Four challenges of manufacturing. We've got Mark Robinson from Smurfit Kappa, who's one of the big packaging manufacturers. But there's so much about packaging now and how it works on the shelf, how you can minimise the amount that you use. And if you certainly send things out, how how do you make that work? Uh, Understanding pet food labels. Um, I think there's a whole mystery behind pet food labels. So that would be really good. Um, and I've got um, Bob Phibbs, who's a retail doctor. He just talked so well. He did the last one. So you, you actually, if you didn't hear him, you need to. Uh, and his title is how not to have a lump of coal in your store this holiday season in order Christmas oh, stocking. Also, brilliant. <laughs> what time is that? And I need to
0: put it in my phone. <laughs>
2: I do. I mean, they will all be up on on the VFAIR site, on the BPI site, which I can give you the the address for in a second. And then I've got even practical tips for grooming rabbits, Mm. how to improve customer service. There's just a raft of things that people need to. I really encourage you to go to it because I, I think everybody needs to just listen, look and learn. Um, and you can do all of that there. You can go around the trade stands. You don't have to talk to anybody, but you can sit for hours in these seminars and immerse yourself in all sorts of things that are going on. It's free. And it's all free. Yeah. Don't charge anything <laughs> for it. And we've got two brilliant debates. One of them you touched on is about COVID. What's the impact of COVID on businesses? Is that positive or negative? Mm-hmm. Some businesses are actually reporting that what's happening COVID, they've reinvented themselves mm. and have moved forwards in a whole new direction. Yeah. Uh, we that's want to true. explore that quite a lot, uh, and then we've got uh, a major debate on on the Monday at midday done by the Rural Policy Group, which is about pets and the elderly uh, yeah. and loneliness, uh, and that's a whole other world which we want to explore and see yeah. how much the pet industry can do with that. Yeah. So uh, it's two days of really good excitement and good things going on.
0: Wow, fantastic! So the yeah, the pets and the elderly is that was it was always a, a really really emotional topic pre-lockdown and, and you know when, particularly mm, when people are,
2: absolutely
0: people aren't allowed out of the homes and then people aren't allowed to visit them it's just, just absolutely breaks your heart doesn't it but I also know that pets you know well we know that pets have such an important role and I know going back to what we were saying before with the dog walkers and the pet sitters and the and the boarders they were you know they I think there was a lot of frustration there because they couldn't support their elderly clients and it's just heartbreaking isn't it but um the, the event sounds incredible I'm definitely gonna to have to um, block off my diary for the two days so you've got so much going on there can I ask you as well who how do people how can people register do they have to like do they have to show that they're in the pet industry do they need to be a member what do they need to do obviously I'll put all the links in the in the um, in the blog post that goes with this episode so all the links will be available all you'll need to do if you're listening is swipe up and they will come to you or you can go to my website and buy them there but how do people um, how do people register and get involved? Well, essentially, I mean, as long as you are a pet
1: business, um, then you're a, uh, able to join us at the show. Or it's in
2: working the pet industry.
1: Working, Yes, or working in the pet industry, that's yeah. right, yes. So, um, And essentially, um, you need to go to the, the landing page, um, which has got all the information on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you click on register. We need a, a few details, um, yeah. just in terms of uh you know whether you, you know what's your dog groom or a home boarder or mm-hmm. um and perhaps what kind of things you're looking for um, but it the, probably the form only takes about you know, two minutes to fill out something like that and that that's it you then get a you then get your login it's emailed to you um, and you get a number of reminders in the lead up to the show as well um, and you're given the, all, all the login details and then on the day itself uh, when it opens at uh 10 o'clock on the sunday morning um you log on to the VPI page and you pop in your login details and and where you go and you can explore the site and go and see whichever stands you want um, and then go and see the webinars in the auditorium whenever you want to so it's it's quite a quite an immersive experience and it is definitely worth putting time aside to do it properly but you can also dip in and dip out you know and fit it around the family as well on on the sunday or fit it around your business on the monday um, so the two live days is where the, the focus is for the, the whole event yeah. But the stands and the webinars are able to be viewed um, for a number of days afterwards as well, mm-hmm. uh, as long as you have registered. Uh, so you will need to register um, during the, the the two, you know, prior to the two launch days, and then you'll be able to have access to the site um for up to two weeks afterwards so um yes it's fairly straightforward and I think if if you're going to pass on the the details I won't read it I won't say what the 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 landing page is um but uh, if you're going to if you've got it then that'll be really good but it's very straightforward very easy and if not then we've got an event team here to help with people to um you know to help get it right so uh, yeah and you don't have
2: to download anything you just literally on the day click on the link and you're into it obviously oh, yeah. oh, you can do it off a phone a tablet uh, a laptop uh, anything like that as long as you've got an internet connection you can get into
0: it okay fantastic okay because I, I know i managed to do it on my phone uh, last time so it is, it is straightforward take it from me and i am not very good with technology so during lockdown obviously we've seen that people have diversified and done some really amazing things by taking the businesses online um do you think it's kind of made people consider things that they wouldn't normally do, and there have been some positive sides to what's happened
2: i think I think that at, at anyone running a business ever so often has to look inwards or look at their business and reflect on what they're doing and is it is it right for today um because you can run a business you can have customers go in um and that that just continues but You might just want to just look at your business and go, could I actually do something different? And I know at Pet Industry Federation, we've done exactly that and spent time reflecting on the way we communicate with members, the way we we just handle things generally and what we can do better and differently. And I think out, out of it, we've emerged and will emerge as a slightly different business, but a better business on the basis that we've learned how to do things. And I think that's that's pertinent for everyone to do it. And that's one of the reasons that we we put on this variety of different types of seminars Mm -hmm. so that it gives people a a chance to look, learn, and listen effectively, Um, but certainly learn on the basis that each of these seminars, on whatever your business, if, if you pick up the ones which are relevant to you, you will learn something. And if you can learn something and put it into your business, then we've achieved what we've set out to do at this show. Or even if you go and find a new product at the trade stand, or you learn about how to pack things differently, packaging, et cetera, that's really what we're trying to do. So we're we're trying to just slightly change minds so that, um, you know, it helps you move forwards and we don't get stuck going, it's all terrible. It's terrible for everybody, but I think we've got to actually try and dig our way out of this. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, Oh my gosh, absolutely, because I was really really conscious at the beginning we talked about how difficult it was and the challenges people face because one of the reasons why I wanted to cover that actually, um, Alexandra and Nigel, is because I know how hard you've worked and I think actually when you talk about what it was like back then, it does really get that across. So I, I thought that that was really important, but I did want to talk about the positives as well and you've just, just talked about many of those and how well people have adapted. Um, the mm. other thing I, I wanted to touch on as well is I think that the pandemic has made us realise, like, not that we didn't know already, um, but I think it's really made us value what we've got, you know, what our pets bring to our lives, hasn't it? And just the incredible bond that we've had, the emotional support that that, that they give us. Um, so I think for, and because of that, I think that's a positive for the industry, isn't it? Because more people have, have the puppy booms, obviously, um, the, there are, there are, all kinds of debates around that but there are more puppies out there and those puppies need products and services and and support Um, but I think overall um, you know as a nation of animal lovers we're more of a nation of animal lovers so surely that's a positive for the pet industry isn't it what are your thoughts on that?
2: Um, I I think that um, we're really pleased to see you know puppy sales of of, of people owning puppies has gone up I know that it's extraordinarily difficult the whole supply and demand in puppies and certainly the Lucy's law um, thing that came out basically said you've got to see the puppy with its mother etc which is fair fair comment the problem is that they just aren't enough puppies to go around in the UK for the demand and we, we, we've understood that for some time so um, the problem that you have with this is where are all these puppies coming from and I don't think even when that law came out people actually understood where all these puppies are coming from we know the ones that come from the kennel club we know have some idea of the ones that are um home or bred by the small hobby breeders but there's an enormous great gap of between 100 and 200,000 puppies that nobody really knew where they were coming from um so if you stamp on the demand on those and okay that's a good thing i you are going to find all sorts of strange things start happening as in you know that game where you sit hit one thing and it springs up somewhere else and I think, unfortunately, that's slightly what we're in. The demand on puppies yeah. shot upwards. People raced out to get them. The prices shot up. I want to have a puppy, no matter what. So, hence, the, the people who had them, whether they were kosher breeders or not, um, started selling them at much higher prices. Um, and that obviously has caused a problem with the prices going up. And yeah. you only had to look at cockapoo puppies, which you normally go for seven, eight, nine hundred pounds, were selling for three thousand pounds. And it just goes, this is a crazy world that we're living in. So, what happens post the interesting things, what happened mm. post COVID? Because as everyone goes back to work, and I know we're not quite in that scenario at the moment because uh, of what's recently been announced by the Prime Minister, but these animals will get separation anxiety and things like that. And how do you look at them, look after them at home, and suddenly you've been with them every day? And I think that people have got to look pretty carefully about, you know, I've got a puppy, it's for life and it's not just. You know for the period of COVID, uh, and even we've even got to talk about separation anxiety yeah. so that um, people can tune into that as well, just so they can get some idea of what that might mean and how they can do it. But that also means that the both um, people like dog walkers, uh, and daycare, and even retail can actually engage with new puppy owners to actually try and help them over this because <laughs> I think that, that's a, a big. Um, area that we're going to face this separation anxiety and certainly the charities are thinking that they're suddenly going to be full up of puppies or young dogs very soon as people suddenly go oh this is just too much i've gone to work and now i can't cope with it yeah so um i i think there's a there's a war danger sign happening on this
1: yeah. But that said, it is interesting that, you know, in a period of lockdown when people's lives slow down and, you know, they're not commuting every day into London or wherever and they're not, you know, that one of the first things they then do is go out and get a pet. And I think it does, you know, I think it does show that for many people, if their lives were, you know, different, then a pet would, you know, maybe they felt there was a barrier to that, you know, before lockdown and they wouldn't think of having a dog or a cat and actually then they realize that life slows down and actually they they did go and I think it's interesting that there's probably an inbuilt sense in a a lot of people that they would love to share their lives with a pet and perhaps pre-COVID that wasn't a, a possibility for them. And lockdown did provide an opportunity. I think as long as it's been done responsibly and as long as people can continue to, you know, devote that care and time to them beyond lockdown as life changes again. Um, then I, I think that it can definitely be a positive for the pet industry and, and all of the things that, you know, we're having to kind of brace ourselves about now with the hit to the tourism industry and um and, and, you know, further restrictions and local lockdowns and everything. It, it, I think there is a real opportunity for the industry to emerge stronger out of this, either by their business, uh, diversifying their business or being able to take advantage of the fact that clearly people do still love pets and pets will still be very central to their lives, um, get, you know, in, 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 well beyond lockdown. And I think as, as an industry, we've got a great opportunity to, you know, to, to um to, Yeah, to embrace it and, and to, um, yeah, just... Grow and, and thrive and continue. So I don't think it's it's just we have to move and be fleet-footed and and, and and evolve and, yeah. uh, and, and not be stuck in our ways. Um, and I hope that the virtual pet index will give plenty of food for thought for, for pet professionals who want to um, you know who who have got that same mindset.
0: Absolutely I think that's a brilliant uh, point to finish on Alexandra and Nigel it's been really good talking to you and I think the other thing is uh, we've t- you've talked right at the end about opportunity there and I wanted to end on a positive and for people to um, people listening to think about the opportunity um, with you know these pet parents who need their support whether it's a product or a service mm-hmm. um, and I think going along to pet index as well as Um, Being able to see the the products and the amazing things that are going to be there from all over the world, you're going to get ideas as well that are going to help you um, with creating those opportunities. So so out of all of the stress and everything that you've been through, guys, um, you know, you've managed to create something that's going to be really, really helpful for people. Um so thank you. I think
2: you. Rachel, sorry if I can just interrupt one and say one last thing. Yep. I think the interesting thing about the number of animals um, is that if the if the number of dogs and cats and small animals has increased during the period. Um, all it, it's actually that's extraordinarily good for the industry whatever you're in out there what you uh, and people in the industry have to work out is the route to um, communicating with those new owners and actually getting them on board either in your yeah. shop as a dog or anything else like that uh, more animals is extraordinarily positive for the industry yeah. um, and I just think that people have to find ways of diversifying and encouraging those owners to come to your particular business mm-hmm.
0: fantastic okay Sorry, I'm just scribbling furiously here, even though it's been recorded. But no, that's a really, really good point. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've been talking about communication myself um, right from the beginning. And it, 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 can be, it can be difficult sometimes to put yourself out there and, and communicate when you feel so, so sometimes feel so battered by everything that's been going on. But Absolutely. keeping going is, is, is really key. Um, so guys, thank you. Is there anything that we haven't covered um, that you think our listeners might need to know about the event? I know I've kept you for quite a while and you have another call.
2: No, I think think we've gone through most of it. I think that, as I say, we encourage people to come along to it, register, uh, and and just, you know, you can pick up as much or as little as you want to. But I think there's a lot going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's only the the lives, which we'll make a note of, it's only the live seminars that you won't be able to hear again, uh, which will be on the the Sunday and the Monday. Um, A lot of them you'll be able to pick up as pre-records over the next few days post the show. Uh, and listen to them at will when you want to so don't feel that if you've missed something you're going to lose it but do tune into the one on um, has COVID been good or bad for your for business mm-hmm. and the other one about pets for the elderly because I think that the whole industry needs to engage in that we need to find some routes mm-hmm. to actually help people um, being able to keep their pets mm-hmm. uh, and even when they when, and I think the other problem of course when you when you go into bereavement and everything else like that is what happens to those pets and I think we need to sort of find some roots as an industry around that to try and help these things happen.
0: Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming along. All of the information that Alexandra and Nigel have shared, uh, the links and everything that's been mentioned, I'm going to put in the show notes for this episode, so they'll be really easy to find if you want to register. But Alexandra and Nigel, thank you so much for joining me, and I will look forward to virtually seeing you um, in be, <laughs> yeah, about nearly thank two you. weeks' time. Oh, no, thank you great. very much. Thank you, Rachel.
2: Thanks very again. interesting.
1: Thank you for listening to the Publicity for Pet Businesses podcast. For more free resources and ways to promote yourself as a pet entrepreneur,
0: visit www.publicityforpetbusinesses.co.uk.